The Massachusetts Clean Energy Center has been around since 2009. It operates the offshore wind port in New Bedford and the Wind Technology Testing Center in Charlestown. It also provides grants and other support for the state's emerging clean energy industry and the educational institutions that support it. Despite all that, it's a good bet you haven't heard of the center or, or much about it, but that's about to change. A new climate change slash clean energy bill sitting on the governor's desk is expected to turbocharge the Clean Energy Center with a lot more money, a lot more staff, and a lot more responsibility for helping the state reach its climate goal. I'm Bruce Mole from Commonwealth Magazine, and our guest today is Jennifer Deloisio, the Chief Executive Officer of the Massachusetts Clean Energy Center. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Let's start with our, our discussion with you a little bit. Your background, if I'm reading correctly, is in finance. How did you end up running the Clean Energy Center? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I spent almost 20 years of my early career working at Deloitte, and I worked in a number of different industries over that time, but I spent a good amount of my time in the energy industry. So I worked with utilities, I worked with independent power producers. Those are companies that build and operate power plants. And I also spent a good amount of time working with clean energy startups. And so ultimately, I got really excited about the work that those startups were doing. And so the opportunity came to move over to MassEC, and I decided to make that leap. So I spent the first seven years at MassEC working as the CFO. And over that time, I took on a number of other responsibilities, including the operations role, and uh, was really excited to be presented with this opportunity to, to lead the center uh, at this particular time. It's a really exciting time and there's a lot going on, but we're really excited to get to work and, and for the work ahead of us. So your staff gave me information that you currently employ 64 people and have 13 interns. And I was looking at some of your financials this year's budget, I think, has revenue of $44 million that you then disperse for a number of projects and initiatives. Uh, this bill on the governor's desk, from my reading of it, the Clean Energy Center name is scattered throughout it, uh, managing various funds and, and what have you with money in the, in the hundreds of millions of dollars associated with it. Uh, just in broad terms, I know this, this bill is on the governor's desk and the governor always says, I never talk about legislation or what I'm going to do with it until I actually have it on my desk. But this is going to mean a big change for the center, I think. What's your sense of the change that it's going to mean? Yeah, you know, I think as we look at the climate goals that the state has enacted into law, and we know that those climate goals are ambitious, and we will need to do more in order to achieve those goals. So the center has a really long history of um, meeting challenges that have been put in front of us and um, scaling to meet those challenges. So ultimately, achieving our goals and the Commonwealth's climate goals is, is really about scaling up and meeting that moment. Um, and so we're really excited to get to work. We've been planning for some time. Uh, we had some additional funding that came our way for workforce development in equity and in offshore wind. And we have been able to scale up to meet those needs. Um, and so have been planning for a long time for potential sources of, of funding and what that could mean for us. How big do you think the organization is gonna get? 
you know, ultimately it will really depend on what we've been tasked with and, and what the funding will look like. Um, and so I really can't speak to numbers at this point, but at the same time, we will be continuing to visit that and, and look towards what needs to be done and, and be able to meet that challenge. The role of the Clean Energy Center, it sort of seems like right now you do some operational things, the wind testing center and the offshore wind port in New Bedford, but you're also, uh, it sounds like your role is increasingly gonna be uh, a coordinator of, of all sorts of things and, and, a, and a funder of a lot of these initiatives, but you're sort of going to, I think, tasked with bringing it all together, all the state's goals and everything you're going to need to do. It sounds like a, a rather big challenge. Have I characterized it correctly? And tell me, tell me what, what your thinking is. Yeah. And so we've been doing our work for a number of years, as you noted. Um, and our work is we're a quasi-state agency. Our mission is to grow the state's clean energy industry while helping the state achieve our ambitious climate goals. And so we sit at this interesting intersection between the public sector and the private sector. And we work with both to identify and test solutions to our complex climate challenges. So really we work in concert with state agencies and we're guided by state policy, but we're able to operate with a bit of agility and be able to respond quickly to the needs of the market. Um, so in the past and, and going forward, we focus our efforts really in four areas. Um, and so you talked about the, the infrastructure that we run. So we run a wind technology testing center in Charlestown that tests wind blades for manufacturers. And it's the only one of its kind in the United States that can test commercial scale wind blades. And it's one of only six or seven in the world. We also own and operate the first in the nation port that was purpose-built for offshore wind. That is the only one that is currently ready and available to be deploying offshore wind. And it's being leased by the first two offshore wind projects in Massachusetts, Vineyard Wind and Mayflower Wind. So we have those critical pieces of clean energy infrastructure. Those were early investments that the state made that really helped establish us as a leader in clean energy uh, in the nation. But we also focus our efforts in other areas. So we focus on decarbonizing our building sector, uh, identifying areas for expansion of clean transportation and planning for this electric grid that can meet the needs of, of the future. Um, and then of course, offshore wind, where we have the opportunity to generate clean electricity right off of our coast, also in increasing economic development and job opportunities for our, our uh, residents. So we really matrix all of this work with four approaches, how we approach our work. So we do that by developing the market, identifying and uh, adoption barriers and ways to overcome those barriers, unlocking private investment and really increasing the pace of adoption for commercially ready technologies like air source heat pumps or electric vehicles. We focus also on innovation and technology development. There's future innovations in both business models and technologies that are going to be needed in order to reduce the cost and increase the pace of our transition. And we focus on workforce development. How do we ensure that we have the workforce that is ready to meet the needs of this industry uh, and is properly trained and certified, but is also diverse and equitable and accessible to all of our residents? 
Um, and, and we focus on equity and diversity through environmental justice uh, lens. And we look at everything to make sure that all of the work that we're doing thinks about how can we increase access to the benefits of clean energy and how can we decrease the burden on those historically overburdened communities? Um, so those are ways that we, we think about and do our work, but um, we have been doing all of that for a number of years and are just thinking about how can we scale that to meet the needs of our climate goals in the future. So the, the workforce training is interesting to me um, in that I've seen references to like, it sounds like a, a program an intense program to get a certificate in offshore wind. I'm not sure what, offshore wind something. Um, what kind of jobs are available in that industry? And, and if people are interested, where do they go to get the training that they need? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So we work with a number of uh, partners. So we work with the developers to understand what the needs are. We work with the suppliers on the supply chain side. So there are many suppliers that will be uh, providing services and products to the developers to build out these offshore wind projects. And we work with a number of training partners. So we have a number of great academic institutions in the state that have been preparing for a number of years for offshore wind. So really taking lessons from what is um, the certifications and the trainings that are happening in Europe and taking those lessons and bringing those here. So working with our partners at Mass Maritime, at the universities, at the community colleges like Bristol Community College and working to set up certifications and trainings at those organizations to make sure that we have all of the workers uh, available and properly trained and when those jobs are ready on the other side. I'm just trying to visualize in my head, I think most people think offshore wind and it's, you're out on this turbine and you're trying to get it up and running or whatever, or you're taking a boat out there. But it sounds like from what you said, there's also a lot of suppliers, maybe in manufacturing yes. or whatever, that are going to need workers to make the equipment, the parts, what have you. Is that fair? Or Yeah, that's right. And that's really what uh, the, the broader economic opportunities that exist for the state are really also in not just the construction and the operation and maintenance of those offshore wind ports, but in the broader uh, supply chain opportunities that might be available to many of our businesses and residents here in Massachusetts. So we've been really working hard on developing this supply chain here and how can we take the companies and the businesses and the workers that are here in Massachusetts and make them aware of these opportunities and help connect them with the developers. So we host meet the buyer events. We host uh, events with the developers in concert and working with our local uh, supply chain companies, our companies here in Massachusetts that could uh, you know, not be aware of the opportunity and you know, connecting the dots and, and being that convener that you talked about. Vineyard Wind is the, the company building the first industrial scale offshore wind farm, and it's off the coast of Massachusetts, obviously. But I've often heard officials with that company say, well, we're the first, so this supply chain that you're referring to is still in sort of development, and we're, we're eager to tap it, but we're going to have to take a lot of stuff from Europe, probably, and bring it over here. What's your sense in this first project? Is it primarily from Europe? And then, and you're hoping to build that up to I, sort of where do we stand in that mix is I guess what I'm saying. 
Yeah, I think, it, it, you know, some of the larger components will be coming from Europe for these uh, first projects. And you'll see up and down the East Coast in uh, the United States, different supply chain companies are uh, making commitments and starting to build manufacturing facilities. So you see that here in Somerset with Brayton Point, the Prismian Group actually uh, has committed to building the manufacturing site in, in Somerset at Brayton Point. Um, and that will supply undersea cables to uh, the offshore wind project. So that is a, a supplier that's setting up shop here in Massachusetts. They already have a, a presence in Massachusetts, but they're growing that presence. Um, and, and there are opportunities like that where we will see that investment and more and more as the offshore wind um, demand gets built out as those projects are being procured by the states, the different manufacturers see the opportunity here in the United States and are starting to shift and make commitments here. Do you have any sense of um, like this first offshore wind farm, every business seems to be having supply chain issues, even if it's not uh, offshore wind, it seems to be all sorts of industries. How is that going so far? Do you get the sense that the workers they need, they're getting, or are they scrambling like a lot of companies right now? You know, I can't speak for, for their uh, experience, but I know we have been working very closely with them and our training partners to make sure that we have these partnerships in place, that we are having the training programs that are needed and helping to get those workers educated and uh, into the industry to be ready for them. Okay. Um, but it, maybe I'm mistaken, but if they were having a problem, wouldn't they, aren't you the person that they would probably reach out to if, if, if they need help? Um, or is it? Yeah, of course, we work with them on, you know, particular areas where they would like to find a local supplier and they're looking for businesses in Massachusetts that could be a contributor. So we work very closely with them in that regard to try to help connect and convene those, those uh, organizations. Okay, but as far as you know, things are going smoothly there or no glitches yet? Yeah, I, I mean, I of course can't speak to that, uh, but I, I haven't heard of any, any particular issues there. Okay, and it sounds to me like as we move forward a little bit, you've talked about a building scaling up, and I guess that in my mind means you, you're, you're going to keep doing what you do now, but on a much bigger scale, perhaps, uh, obviously, to support a, a major emerging industry in the state. And I guess that's quite a, could be quite a challenge to scale up. I mean, for any business, for any operation, that's a huge, huge task. Are you laying plans about how much staff you're going to need to do that and, and the logistics of doing that? Yeah, sure. And, and we've been planning for that um, since the governor first announced his, his bill last October, and we've been really thinking about that for some time. So planning and thinking about knowing where we need to be and where we are today as an industry um, and knowing what our climate goals are and how what do we think needs to be done to get there and how can we scale that effort? So we have a number of, of different ideas and, and thoughts and um, and how we really work is the center does, we oftentimes do not have the, the funding to scale everything. And so really our uh, value proposition or, or the work that we do 
is really identifying those those barriers, those things that are really the hard to tackle problems that we don't yet know how to solve. We identify solutions, we pilot and demonstrate and test out those solutions, collect the data on the back end, and then we really uh, look to partners to scale that. So working with the private industry, working with developers and you know real estate developers, working with MassSave and other agencies that can potentially scale some of these efforts. So a great example is a passive house challenge that we did in the decarbonized buildings sector. So if you're not familiar with passive house, it is the most efficient building envelope standard that is out there. It really uses very little energy as a building. Um, and so we had this hypothesis a few years ago that we could build new affordable housing units to a passive house standard and have that be a minimal cost premium. It had never really been done in Massachusetts. And so we worked with uh, our partners and real estate developers to uh, incentivize them to, to build some of these units to passive house standards. We had uh, 540 units that we incentivized. They have all, almost all of them have been um, constructed at this point. And we've been able to prove out that you could do that with just a 2% cost premium. Um, and on the back end, those residents and the building owners are achieving, first of all, you know, great savings on their electricity, but also much more healthy uh, buildings, which of course, as we know, is, is a really important component these days. That's a great example. Um, as you do this scale up, and it seems like you're reaching out farther and farther as part of this effort, what are you forecasting? How big does your agency need to get to, to do the job you think it needs to do? Yeah, I think honestly, we're, we're just taking it one day at a time and we'll have to see what comes uh, our way and what we are tasked with ultimately and, and the funding that's available. But we really feel confident. We have a, a pretty small team as you noted, uh, but we're really efficient and effective. We're blessed with uh, a really passionate uh, mission-driven team of, of experts that are in their fields and really look to as leaders. Um, and so we have been able to do a lot with the, the staff that we have to date and we really feel confident we can, we can meet any challenge. Where does your uh, revenue come from right now? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Most of our revenue comes from a, a surcharge on electric utility bills. So if you look at your utility bill, your electric bill, you'll see a small renewable energy surcharge. That's about 30 cents on the average homeowner's bill every month. And that comes into MassEC in the form of a renewable energy trust. That's about $20 million a year. So that is our primary source of funding. Sometimes we will receive uh, funding from the federal government to do certain programs or other state agencies like the Department of Energy Resources may provide us funding to run a particular program on their behalf. So for example, we worked very closely with them on an energy storage program where we launched the energy storage market here in Massachusetts by, uh, by providing grants for energy storage projects and demonstration projects. So that was a $20 million program uh, that really helped to identify different business models and prove out ways where, where people could come together and partner and pull these energy storage projects together. So the, the head of the Clean Energy Center, when you were appointed, does the board of the center appoint 
it's CEO. Is that how, how it works? Yes. Yes. So it's not the governor. It's the board that, that is of the center. That's right. So we have a board that's consisted. It consists of 12 members. It is chaired by the secretary of energy and environmental affairs. Um, and seven members of our board are our state government. So ex officio and five members of the board are appointed by the governor. Okay. So um, I'm just, I, obviously, this is something everybody worries about. There's a lot riding on your, your agency right now, and the hope is that it'll keep doing what it's doing, but we're about to have a change in administration in January. Could that be disruptive to the process, or does the board continue on as it is? How does that work? Yeah, so as those, those seven members of the state government that I talked about, if they transition over in a new administration, we will have new board members coming on board. But that's something we've dealt with in the past and are really used to. Um, so we have a great onboarding process for new board members. And honestly, we really welcome and, and look forward to having new members and new ideas and new perspectives at the table. That's always a good thing. We have been really blessed with very engaged uh, and passionate board members who have been great contributors. And uh, over the years, we have really built up a way to help them get up to speed and understand our work that we do. So really deep diving with them in particular board meetings about how we attack and approach the building sector, for example. What does it mean and what does it look like and what is our role uh, in the state landscape in terms of how we approach the building sector? So that's something we actually do with our board members and have started doing pretty regularly uh, in board meetings as we bring different programs to them for authorization. So that's something we'll continue and and we'll certainly be um, doing as as new board members come on. And how about you personally? Do you uh, do you want to remain? Do you want to remain after the governor leaves? Do you want to maintain that continuity or how long yeah. have you been in the job, for instance? So, uh, yeah, so I have been at MassEC for eight years now. So started as, as the CFO and, and took over this role about a year ago. Uh, and so I am really enjoying the work. I, I'm so thrilled to see um, the work that we have ahead of us. Our team is so great and, and uh, is really excited about the work that we have to do. I feel like this is just a really interesting time to be in clean energy and climate and I'm having a, a lot of fun, but also really working hard, but enjoying it. And so I think that that's always a good thing. You know, you want somebody in the role who is excited and, and motivated and, and willing to work hard. And uh, so I'm happy to be here and really looking forward to continuing on. Great. Well, Jennifer Deloisio, thank you for joining us today on the podcast. And to our listeners, we'll see you again next week. Thank you.